hey, just a heads up, full spoiler warning for everything leading for the live-action One Piece adaptation, as well as minor manga spoilers for the events leading up to Arlong Park. Yeah. late fairies like just everything <laughs> going towards the rest of it and like not having enough mm -hmm. opportunity to go through since it's like right in the middle of a new anime season so it's mm -hmm. just at the very least i did get everything done that i wanted to for summer which is fine mm -hmm. but now it's like Rayrun's already out i'm it's oh, yeah, episode just came out uh on friday and so right. it's just at the very least like my fridays are pretty packed in the sense that i've got Stuff to, and, then, and then there's a fire truck show and then there's uh, Shorzy, of course, the greatest anime of all time. Yeah, for sure, bud. It's been, it is interesting though, because I'm trying to remember if, I think the, when the first season of Shorzy came out, they did a really weird episode chunk release where they did three episodes of it in the first week and then three episodes in the second week to just mm -hmm. get through and like try to get people invested. Kind of like the same thing that they did with Arcane. Oh, like just like a, like a small binge, micro binge? Right, just giving people content to like work with and like see whether or not they want to invest into it. Because that's what I did like about Arcane, and that's honestly something that I feel like Netflix should do more often. Considering like that batch, Netflix, batch release, yeah, like because it's just yes, we understand whatever algorithm or whatever readings that you get on for Netflix says that oh yeah no, the batch release is better than just doing it a weekly kind of like an anime thing where mm -hmm. it's just kind of like no we can't do it like on a weekly basis we have to get everything out all at once all has to be ready and then we can go and release it which mm -hmm. i can understand for production reasons to that point so at the very least it's like okay we're not going to put out the show until everything is finished mm -hmm. which i can understand but like for bigger productions on that line like say breaking bad like say game of thrones like that was never necessarily like long like long running series where the production is always ongoing yeah and at least in that case it just seemed like everything was already done but they still kept to that weekly format because it keeps the conversation going like it's always mm -hmm. a uh like gathering around uh the water cooler vote where it's like holy shit did you see last night's episode of breaking bad last night's episode of game of thrones or house of the dragon or the bear all of these different pieces that have that opportunity to push it down on a weekly schedule and keep people talking about it for months and months instead of just going through and it's like sure it's all there i mean anime wise it's that's one of the reasons why nobody cared about uh part six or part five mm -hmm. right like just feel bad for jojo fans considering yeah, that the, the hype train was was going for a good little while and then it just stopped and it's just like wow jojo fridays ended and you just don't know when it's going to come back right like i think they did at least do that for part six where they did cut it into either thirds or halves because they did end up getting like 13 episode chunks but mm -hmm. then they just didn't tell anybody like this mm -hmm. was not something that anybody's going to be looking forward to no like we'll just throw it out 13 episodes there and then 13 episodes a month from now and then like 13 episodes whenever we want like to put it out like whenever it's like finished towards the rest and so it's like nobody talked about it barely anybody i still enjoyed yeah. it but uh, mm -hmm. yeah i feel bad for part six yeah and i mean like one it, although it is interesting to kind of see that go because at least one piece did find success with that batches with that batch mm -hmm. release where it's just mm -hmm. like oh yeah no regardless all of this stuff is out like go watch it even though 
it is a lot of content. Like it is not necessarily eight hours worth, but it's close to like six and a half, seven hours of content and they just plopped it all down there. Yeah. But at the very least, it's at least nice to get back in together and finish off the rest of it. Because we did have a lot to talk about, like just the first episode alone, since that was mm -hmm. the introductory. And that was something that everybody was getting into and everybody was excited for to kind of like see how One Piece was able to go through. And even mm -hmm. a month later, it's you still have people like not necessarily at its height, but still glimpses of people like trying to give it a shot, trying to kind of see what is quote unquote the best live action like anime to TV date. series to yeah. date yeah to date no it's like it's good i i'm like it just condenses a really long now at this point classical uh anime arc into something that's digestible for a new audience um and i think that's the merit of just like having the different adaptation is just like brings fresh perspective to the series and i'm not expecting it to be like a one-for-one -one adaptation like i expect them to make some like Crave liberty, take some creative liberties and tailor it to this new audience. But I don't know. I I feel like it it changes enough that it changes enough that I, I'm left wanting. So I don't know. Uh, so like picking up from like episode one where we get like the the introduction to Luffy, Kobe, and Alvita, and like some of the world of One Piece. Like moving on to episode two and three, we have mostly see. a buggies, pirates, like and pirates, his yeah. crew that we end up going through and getting to check in on because I was really curious to see how they would do buggy towards the rest of it. And at the very least with the introduction of him at the end of episode one, mm -hmm. it was more like, okay, he is going to be as chaotic as he was towards the rest of it. Since I do, I have seen clips of him online, like through the animated series as well, but it wasn't mm -hmm. necessarily something that I had any or as much of a attachment to towards the rest of it. So this was going to be, even though I knew that, buggy was crazy in a sense i didn't necessarily how they would translate that craziness mm -hmm. would it be something more of like a thriller slasher villain or was it going to be somebody that was more like comedical inside of his like craziness in anime they they push him more towards like a comedic uh like gag character uh as a clown and like just like how braggadocious uh buggy is it makes sense i think like they hit a good balance between like making in live action at least they made uh buggy more threatening or appear more menacing uh as he's willing to do like the atrocities to the town but i think like it also undercuts his comedic side where like i'm just you know maybe not as like more cowardly more like uh neurotic and i like that they captured some of that i i imagine like buggy to be very lippy he like he he likes to sass his his antagonists or his uh his adversaries and yeah, I, I think they, they had a nice balance. Like, he has lot, lots of quips, he has a lot of things to say. His whole bit about, like, his nose is like, okay, all right, okay. I can see, like, this version of Buggy existing within the within the anime. And, like, mm -hmm. it's What did you just say about me? <laughs> just like, nose! <laughs> so, that's great. Love that part. The... Because he is, he is witty and quippy. And the way that he's able to... Because you know he's a little, not necessarily... Uh, comedic or tragic but he's more like pitiable in that sense because yes. you know that he's he's incredibly threatening towards that case but you know that there are just you feel like there are so many more bigger mm -hmm. fish in the sea like he's not, he's yeah. lashing out at everything else to try and compensate for something that he's, he's lacking. lacking but right. at the very least towards the rest of it he's able to juggle this scene <laughs> this uh, <laughs> this um 
yeah, just juggle this like sense of menace, but also wit and banter towards the rest, which mm -hmm. still like makes him an incredibly entertaining antagonist mm. towards the rest of it to give us like a more uh, threatening character inside this world of pirates that not mm -hmm. everybody, not every pirate is like Luffy where they're happy-go-lucky mm -hmm. and they like want to go see the world, but mm -hmm. pirates that just do pirate things like loot yeah. and pillage and plunder. Yes. Um, so like, I think like a, a lot of the crux of round Buggy's character is that uh, he's, he, so in the anime, it shows Buggy's association and backstory to Shanks where they both served on Gold Roger's ship as like small little like chore boys. Uh, so like that's that's where they get the association to each other. Like the anime fleshes out like sh uh, Shanks' backstory, Buggy's backstory, and also like adding to the myth and legend of Gold Roger. Whereas like in the live action, we only really get to see hear it in like passing. Like, and it's uh, more just his relationship with Shanks rather than is to literally anybody else. Yeah, I think a lot of it, like a lot of like how Buggy presents himself, hinges on like his insecurity of like being like a big enough pirate um, to live up to the name of you know the king of pirates and like also like shanks is like like doing really well pretty well for himself and is respectable but like buggy's all like whatever who cares about that guy i'm better he's speaking loudly for his to compensate for his incompetence a lot of the times uh and i think that's part of like the comedy that you get from buggy which i enjoy it's also like the arc where like nami gets properly introduced as like a potential crewmate for luffy so yeah i think that part of the arc was okay um, it's more so the scene where uh, Buggy plays with sorry the scene where uh, Nami tosses up Luffy's straw hat, thus pointing him out to Buggy's crowd was actually Buggy was the one who took a look at that hat and was like, "What is this?" And so they they switch those character character moments, um, and it's just like trying to like establish like get Nami roped into the crew a little bit earlier, which I don't know it's, it changes the context a little bit, not that huge. It's also like the arc where we also get the Kobe Kobe Meppo Kobe Garp Helmeppo B story. Yeah. yeah. So I think that it was smart for them to introduce that plotline as a means to give more things to to follow on screen instead of like just being stuck in Buggy's tent. Because I I think like I don't know it would have been hard to sell. Because they have to essentially push this main trio as kind of like not the B plot but more like the B team. Right. Where you do get Luffy's evolving and expanding crew, but then the majority of the of the set and the characters that are going to be following them constantly, at least towards the rest of it, definitely mm -hmm. seems like it's going to be mm -hmm. uh, Kobe, Helmeppo, and Garp. Because it's a, yeah. there are really no other Marines that we almost get to by name, besides yeah. uh, like Nezabi, who we'll like get to like later on to the rest of it. But it's mostly yeah. for the perspective of the Marines. It's kind right. of just those three. Yeah. So I think it was a, I think it was an okay choice for them to like include them as like a backstory to, and show like a little bit more of the world through their through their lens and just because the marine the marines have more access to different things uh, it helps to establish the larger world instead of just like through Luffy's eyes and the Straw Hat's eyes in this case um, I think like in in anime uh, the Kobe Meppo plot was only like told through a cover like a volume cover spread across like thirty chapters or thirty volumes actually I should say. Um, so you only get to see like that that character development across like the thirty volumes, uh, and it was like such a small thing too. But the anime was able to like elevate it by like a ton. Uh, I think the debut episode is like somewhere like uh, episode sixty eight or sixty nine when they finally do like an anime adaptation to those cover pages, and like it's a fantastic what they can do to like add in micro narrative into those characters to make us really feel and uh, 
be attached to them like and the progression uh you get to see like in in manga and anime you get to see like kobe and helmepo like bond bond with each other and like stating what their dreams are and like them learning about the perspectives of each other and like how they can use it in their world and like they, they both encourage each other to grow which is nice because like this is helmepo is literally like kobe's first adversary which is like just pointing a gun at his head and like kobe's all like no shoot me luffy don't don't stop it's i don't know it's just good to see the contrast of like yo this is this dude who pointed a gun at me is now like my friend somebody i consider a friend and it's like oh wow so i think it's great it's it's really tough for me considering that like a lot of the stuff whenever my mind goes back to any of the clips that i've seen from the anime most of it comes from the nun piece bridge series <laughs> so it's just kind of like so it's it's a phenomenal point towards the fact that Helmeppo is literally holding Kobe at gunpoint, and then it's like, oh yeah, no, you're going to be one of my longest like running friends. Yeah, because it's, it's also like, yeah, and it's, like it's fun. just everything inside of the rest, uh, everything inside of Nun Piece is essentially just going through. It's like, like stop, stop moving, or the boy gets a bullet to the head, and it's like, <laughs> stop it, I'll kill the boy, I swear. It's like, what is going on? Here? Yeah, and it's also like fun because like there's a point where like uh, Garpin, uh, so like. Uh, Helmepo gets captured by Axan Morgan, who's trying to escape Garp's fleet, and, and they're about to like sh sink the ship. But like uh, Kobe's like, "No, my friend's on that ship," and stands in front of the cannon in order to stop them from shooting down Helmepo. And it's like, "Wow, that's like, it's like, like everything comes back full circle." Where like Kobe's now defending against Helmepo getting gun pointed at him, you know, like that sort of thing. And through that like interaction, uh, Garp sees the resolve that those two have and takes them in as his pupils. And it's like, it's yeah, it's just good. Um, it, the anime also like adds in a small little narrative of like Helmepo and his association to his father, where Helmepo proclaims that like he's going to be an, an even greater Marine than his, than his father, or greater, greater man than his father. And like it shows in like a small scene, small like afterthought where uh, Axan Morgan like looks back after releasing Helmepo and thinking about like, what will become of my son? Uh, and it's like it's nice that they like leave it open to interpretation, like like that all characters like have like something more to them. But the relationships are incredibly cut and dry towards most of the points. But then you mm. will see that over the course of like a long period of time, because that is what Oda is able to accomplish with a story like this vast and this wide. Mm. Is just and everybody that will like they will start off tropey and incredibly one note, and that's at least a way to introduce you to them because of such a wide cast is in this and so many named characters and so many people that you have to go through and only so much time. towards them. There's only so much time. And yeah. so at the very least, it's easy for like that simple beginning to be a good jumping off point where it's like, okay, I know this based on like one or two lines. I know exactly like what this character is about. He's a daddy's boy. He's really spoiled. He's going to go towards the rest of it. But then mm -hmm. it's gives you so much room for adaptation mm -hmm. and building towards the rest of them so that now that they are more than just a basic named character that they will be able to grow themselves as the series moves forward and that's how you'll definitely since the amount of time that we were given with kobe and helmepo at least in this first season then odds mm -hmm. are there will still be getting a little bit more of them whenever mm -hmm. the second season comes out yeah so moving on from episode two okay so now we enter Sir village uh which is stop arc yeah so let's take a look at this. Um, so to so let's take a look at the points that uh, are overrun in Sir Village. Uh, so we have the Kuina versus Zoro backstory, uh, and they use that when like uh, Zoro's stuck in a. So like okay, so let's talk about Usopp. 
Usopp's character. What do you think of them? Let's. Oh boy, he's he's not as annoying as I expected him to be. Because that was the only thing like leading into One Piece is that I know that Usopp gets better later. It's mm-hmm. just how much later and how much of him am I going to have to deal with, especially in terms of his introduction, mm-hmm. leading into what is essentially going to be the core of Luffy's crew. Right. So um, how? So at the very least, he does. The whole uh, boy cried wolf sort of deal, boy mm-hmm. cried pirates. Mm-hmm. I understand why that is definitely a thing, and it is a coping mechanism for him to go through. But the fact that he's been doing that for years and years and years inside of a town that is definitely necessary to be notified when the actual pirates are coming. Yeah. So where it's like you kind of see where that story thread is going to go immediately, but you it really does not endear you to... Usopp's character towards the rest of it. At the very yeah. least, you do understand like the same deal. His one note thing is that he's a loudmouth and he's a spinster. He mm-hmm. will fabricate these tales to mm-hmm. go through and at least have the opportunity. Like you know why he does it. You know that he does mm-hmm. do it for Kaya, mm-hmm. but it's still uh, like as an introduction towards, especially with somebody who is completely new and is going to be jumping into this. It's like. Who the fuck is this guy? Like, I understand yeah. that we already have like one comic relief in Luffy, but you're telling me that it's mostly just going to be the guys around him? I don't know. I, I think like uh, the core. I think the core Usopp's character is uh, in his motivation of why he wants to lie. Um, it's more like he wants to envision himself as like uh, an image of his father, right? Of like a great pirate who he who he romanticizes about and thinks about. Like, you know, he's. He's done all these things, and he's going to come back, and uh, things are going to be good. Uh, and it's also just to cope with the loss of like childhood abandonment, uh, and also like being left alone for the most time uh, because it's just a quiet town, and there's not a whole lot of things to do. His mother is also a uh, sick. His father <laughs> basically abandoned them, and he doesn't have much to do. Um, so uh, Usopp romanticizes; it gets lost in his imagination and romanticizes about those ideas. And I think like that helps. He channels it's it. Weird. It helps him cope, yeah. Yeah, and it it helps him channel uh, to have a, a wondrous imagination. And, like, he uses that to help Kaya because, like, he was also in a similar situation where he lost his parents and, like, Kaya lost her parents. And so he understands that pain, which is why he elaborates on all these grand tales. I think, like, part of, like, why Sir Village is a little bit uh, more bland is just because Usopp doesn't have a direct villain to fight against. There's, you know, Captain Kuro and... Cloud or we'll, we'll, which we'll get into a little, bit, a little bit, but that's mostly taken care of by Luffy. Uh, Usopp, I think, really needs Django in order to like build build himself up. Um, so Django is missing from the live action adaptation. He is just a hypnotist, uh, like a moonwalking, jive, cool, sometimes unconfident hypnotist. But it gives Usopp an antagonist to fight against, and like really like like. Uh, rise to the occasion be like, all right, guys, I'm going to save Kaya from Django. Uh, even though I'm weak, cowardly, and sometimes incompetent, I have to do everything that I can to compensate for that. So in their fight in the anime, uh, Usopp's using any dirty trick that he can in order to get an upper advantage. Like, I think he chooses to fight them, uh, the Black Hat Pirates, on a slope uh, that he covered in oil so that they would have to be, like, running uphill while he's firing them downhill. So, like, it's small things like that 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 Usopp excel in. He's 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 a craftsman. He he's uh applying as many strategies as he can. They may not be like well executed, but like he's doing what he can to compensate for him being not as strong as the others. I think that's 
that's where he needs. Um, in terms of the rest of the live action adaptation for the episode, uh, this is the point where we get to see uh, Zoro getting captured yet again, and uh, which one call it? He's he's knocked he's out, bonked on the head, he's got bonked on the head, well. <laughs> and and it's like, hmm, like the whole running gag is like Zoro's always like trapped. Unlike Buggy's arc, uh, he was just like tied up, tied up, and didn't have access to his swords. And like if following episode, guess what? He's tied up or like uh, occupied some somewhere else, and still needs to find his swords. So I don't know. They they used so in or, because Surf Village is relatively a bland plotline. Uh, they included Zoro's backstory, which is his fight with Kuina, and I think a lot of the things the the points were hammered out. Like everything that happened in the anime, kind of did happen in live action in terms of like Zoro's backstory. But I think like the delivery was stiff. It's because um, it's more like it's lacking the emphasis that Zoro sees. Well, okay, so. Kuina is like the ideal that Zoro strives for, like his goal, but it doesn't give show off the time that uh, Zoro and Kuina are training in order, and like the amount of extensive effort that Zoro goes through in order to uh, get up to uh, Kuina's level. Uh, that's missing, which is uh, you know, it makes the the end of that small plotline uh, feel a bit weaker. That's like uh, Zoro is like crying out in frustration because like he can't beat Kuina because she's just that good, and Kuina begrudges her her gender um, because uh, she wished she was born a man in order to be stronger, uh, to swordsman or swordswoman, but she feels the limitation of just by being a girl. And Zoro like refutes that by saying like you know it, that doesn't mean anything. Like we're it's because of our effort, not because of our nature that we that we're able to accomplish these goals. And that makes you are my goal. Yeah, you are my goal. You are my ideal, and you are the one. And one mm -hmm. of us will become the greatest swordsman, mm -hmm. in that sense. As long as we continue to fight for each other and against mm -hmm. each other. But then he doesn't. He loses that. So it's like, where exactly right. does he go? Uh, and like in the in the live action, it's like plainly stated. Like, like the oath is plainly stated that he wants to be a great swordsman for those reasons. But like in anime, you get to see like the build up to it, and it's like. Yeah, now I get it. Now I understand like why it means so much to him. Um, even like Koshiro in like the manga or or anime, uh, so Zoro's teacher uh, is a little bit more jovial, and he often adds gives Zoro like um, like thoughts about observations of life, like um, what what was it? Humans are fragile things, Zoro. Uh, when he's speaking about uh, Queen's death, it's like the reverence of like. Uh, I don't know, just the reverence of life and like teaching Zoro like these other small, small moments that I felt were missing. Yeah, that was missing in terms of him being thrown down a well and trying to emulate the Dark Knight Rises. And it's just if there's <laughs> anything that you don't want to emulate, it is definitely the Dark Knight Rises towards the rest of it because it's just <sighs> to try and mimic and mirror mm -hmm. his struggle mm -hmm. to become the greatest is just him climbing out of a well is kind of. I don't, I don't know. know. It, it was they, definitely they tried <laughs> to like fit it into a point where it's like, okay, we need to get Zoro off screen for an episode. It's like, yeah. okay, we'll just do that. Yeah, and just throw him down a well. Which, to be fair, in in anime, he was just like because of Usopp's antics, he was stuck at the bottom of the the slope, anyways, and that's why he was absent for most of the arc. Um, so they did this in a more like grounded way, which I think is is fair. So there's that. What should we call it? Um, Kuro. If there is something, yeah, if there is something for Kuro that I will admit is that Kuro was played extremely well in the live He's action. Really good. He was threatening. He was yeah. it's like the 
at the very least, the atmosphere and the tone that we get for the first three episodes is very an underlying sense of menace and suspense where it's just kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, this dude's just going to go off on somebody. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in this case, it's only up until then that even though he does a phenomenal job at selling the character, it's definitely the fight itself doesn't really live up to anything along those lines. Yeah, because like uh you see like how quickly Kuro is moving like around in the shadows uh when he's when he's like intimidating uh the rest of the straw hats. But like in in fight like Luffy's just like, "Oh, I can keep up pace with you. No problem." And I like I know that it's like hard to how to demonstrate that in live action. But like I think like Kalidor's character, like the way they portrayed Kalidor and Captain Kuro was good. Uh it sent it showed him a sense of like, uh, like competency, uh, methodicalness. Like there's, like there's a sense of like I, I care about precision, right? Which is fair. So yeah, I think like that was that was the good part of Sir Village. Um, I also like that they gave Zoro like uh, they toned down Zoro's uh, cowardice a little bit more. Um, they made him a little bit more lippy, which is good. I think those are like the core traits of who he is. But like. Like, Zoro I feel... or Usopp? Usopp, Usopp. Yeah. So, um, but I think that Usopp's like uh, whole shtick is like, uh, I'm going to exist alongside the Straw Hat Pirates in spite of me being a coward and not being as strong. And I'm gonna like find a way to to keep keep up with them, find a different way to keep up with them. And I think like that's the core struggle that uh, Usopp gets um, towards the rest. Although he does kind of just leave Kaya high and dry. I, I was kind of like <laughs> concerned about that for a second because it's just in the live action, she does give him the going Mary. She does give him the opportunity to go yes. on his own and fi- and become a new man for himself. And she does give him a kiss, but mm-hmm. then they sail off and I'm thinking back and it's just, wait, fuck, Mary's dead. <laughs> Mary's dead and she her, has- Her butler's Kaya. dead. Her, her family's dead. Sure, uh... the black the black cat pirates aren't going to be harassing her anymore, but then it's mm-hmm. like, she, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm just going to recover from my poison, manage my family's uh, charities and wealth and empire all by myself. I'm all good. You go have an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, so I'm abandoning you the same way that I my father abandoned me. It's like, oh, it's like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh, no, yeah, exactly. no, we don't want that. <sighs> so, yeah, there's that there's that part of that. And like in anime, you get the pumpkin trio. Um, so the Usopp pirates crew uh, and they are there to keep her company alongside Mary, but they just killed off Mary. So it's like, she has she has nothing right now. Um, <laughs> I'm sure like as somebody with her wealth, she'll be fine. And she did state that she's going to go off and study to become a doctor. So who knows? We'll see like whether or not that's going to pay off in fruition like later down the line. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's only so much she can do, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they'll give us a, because she did, uh, what is it? She did get a look at Luffy's poster. So at the very least, like she's doing at, at live at that point. Uh, but then, yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely, it was not necessarily my favorite. It was definitely something that I don't believe should have taken up a full two episodes to kind of like get all that point across. They did, a, they did try to cram as much as they could in there like Zoro's backstory and like leading it towards the rest of it but as something where it's like oh man we're gonna get two episodes focused on Usopp that's not necessarily something I'm looking forward to on the other Mm -hmm. hand though (laughs) two episodes that they did get end up giving to would have been towards Sanji and this is arguably my favorite two episodes of the show yeah Barati uh the Barati was good I I think like episode five was really really strong because you get to see like uh because we have now a more established 
cast and you have more characters that you can play off of it shows it gives sanji a lot of room to like show off his personality um so sanji i characterize as being like smart sly cool just very passionate like uh he gets like upset over small things like you know whether or not you're uh uh you're gonna eat all the food that he prepared like that's not to waste any of the food i don't know there's there are a lot of like good points of like sanji's character where he's also like you also see like how he's like a very chivalrous kind of person where he like flirts uh with a, a lot of ladies uh like he has that sort of like reverence around 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 them and uh yeah it's also like he's willing to immediately like banter with zoro too uh to like show up like hey you know i'm i'm on par with you so i don't know yeah those i are... have the suave i have the wit you definitely don't have any of those rest of it. it's like yeah i do have these yeah. swords though it's like yeah cool i have my <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so it's good like he's he's that kind of character he's like he's he's witty he's got a quick mouth and he's just cool so that's fun and i think taz like does a great job portraying him yeah really cool um let's take a look so Brody's arc we have I mean, so towards like, the rest of it, yeah, we do get the general introduction, like, in towards the rest of it, and the reason why the crew has to stay around the Baratier, which is still a, mm -hmm. we I, like, I did understand, like, I did watch a couple of episodes of this for the anime to kind of, like, see what the comparisons were, but at the very mm -hmm. least, I understand, like, what the Baratier could have been, but what it is for the time that they have, and as that being, like, a phenomenal set and a phenomenal, like, introduction to what... Uh, Zeph has been able to build in this absence has definitely like been a phenomenal piece and a phenomenal restaurant that hell I would love to go to like towards the rest of it mm -hmm. just sailing to just sailing through the sea and becoming that kind of a moving restaurant and what Zeph like was compared to how he is now mm -hmm. yeah it says his legacy is like redfoot Zeph um so in anime we we see that Zeph is a renowned pirate and uh was a formerly a renowned pirate uh, with the Cook Pirates, and we got to hear that his uh, his cre his reputation vouched for by Don Krieg, who's like the antagonist for that arc. Um, in live action, it's replaced for Arlong for you know time reasons, um, so that makes sense, and I think that's passable. Uh, Don Krieg is otherwise a forgettable like villain in the lar in the grand scheme of One Piece. But I think like it really hurts Sanji's character because Gin's character is not present. And Gin's character really shows off like more of like what Sanji is about, where he has the willingness to feed anybody who's hungry uh, who comes through his restaurants because he understands the struggle of what it feels like to be starving. In Sanji's backstory, uh, you know, Zeph, Zeph chooses to save Sanji because they share a dream. And it's like, it wasn't just like, like a happen thing, like where I did it on a whim. Like Sanji was starving for days and Zeph so, gave him everything. Yeah. yeah, so basically they're stuck on an island, they were shipwrecked, uh, Zeph wanted to go save him, and, like, Zeph acts tough and, like, gives, uh, chooses to keep, like, a larger bag of supposed food for himself, and only gives, like, a smaller bag to Sanji, but Sanji, after, like, you know, 70 days or 80 days of, like, being stranded on this rock, uh, finally decides, like, you know, he, I don't have any other food, uh, and he's reflecting on like why he wasted so much food. Like when he was on the ship, he goes off and find uh, opens up Zeph's, sorry, like food bag, only to find out that's nothing but treasure. And like it emphasizes the importance of food is to people at sea. That is more valuable than than gold. That uh, like all of that gold and treasure is worthless when you're hungry. Gin plays off of Sanji's uh, 
Because yeah, did they ever like was the one man that uh, the one man that came back? Up, yes, so like, the one man in the that yeah. was Gin. So did they actually name him Gin? It's like in uh, live action. It's implied. Oh, it's implied mm-hmm. that it's Gin because mm-hmm. of the of the way that he's uh, dressed up and he was part of the Don Krieg's crew. So that is Gin, so to speak. Um, oh, cool. But he has so he has a much smaller role uh, in the live action. He simply just feeds. Sanji just simply, uh, what should call it? Sanji says to Gin like. I can understand how hungry a person feels more than anyone. You can die for your pride if you want, but if you eat and survive, don't you think there's a future for you? And it's more like, yeah, it's showing him like, you know, to swallow your pride and like say like, you know, this is this is necessary. You need this. Um, so, you know, live another day and figure it out from there. And it's like, yeah, it just delivers like more nuance to Sanji's character, and also like shows you like how passionate he is to stay at the restaurant in order to very repay Zeph's. Uh, pay back Zeph for what he's done for him, because Zeph's given like like a lot of things to Sanji. He's given him uh, a place to express his culinary desire. He's trained Zeph to sorry. Uh, he's trained Sanji, Sanji to yeah. fight and respect his hands. So that's why he only fights with kicks because as not to damage his hands in order to uh, remain a cook. A chef's most important tool is his hands. Is his hands? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's those things that like I wish were a little bit more emphasized in live action. We still get like some good character moments, but it doesn't hit as hard um, mm-hmm. because um, what should we call it? It's also like in defeating like uh, Don Krieg at the end of it all. Sanji overhears like the rest of the kitchen crew uh, joking about like how they're gonna act tough in or shit talk him in order to get him to leave. So that um, so that he can finally pursue his dream of pursuing the all blue with a straw hat crew, and like he overhears them like saying that, and he's like, "Oh wow, they really do care about me." And like uh, when you see them, the confrontation where they're all like shit talking him to like get out uh, of the brati, like uh, at the end, like they're they're holding back their tears because they they really care about him, and they're they were just acting tough in order to like get him to go, and like it makes his his cry out to to Zeph like that much more meaningful because like you know amongst all these like tough like r- rough and tough punk cooks cook pirates at sea who have to like fend off like occasional ruffians who storm through their uh their doors they were will they 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 released all of their emotions uh, in order to show Sanji like you you matter to us and I was like oh it's it's so good it is definitely unfortunate, like, in the interest of time, they had to just cut that down where it's just mm-hmm. literally uh, having only Gin being a, a side character for, like, 20 seconds. And then the majority of the relationship going with just Sanji and Zeph rather than Sanji and the restaurant as mm-hmm. a whole. Yeah. Especially with the amount of different mechanisms and transformations that the <laughs> that the Baradier has gone over in the yeah. defense against pirates that would look to sack them and take all their food it's like no fuck off all every single chef inside of that restaurant is a hardened warrior not only because they work in one of the <laughs> considering the amount of kitchens that i've been through like uh towards a couple of the jobs that i've done it's just it's a battlefield in of its own like the chaos inside of a kitchen mm-hmm. is so it is one of the most controlled chaotic environments that i've like ever been witness to especially when it comes to the rush and mm-hmm. so the fact that you would see the majority of these chefs not only consistently going through and being like one of the most 
crowd restaurants inside of the East Blue, but the fact that not only do they have to do that, they also have to worry about protecting themselves against pirates that would come to sack their, their entire stock, which yeah. would be almost like death to them, <laughs> where yeah. it's just kind of like either losing your life or like, what is it, losing a limb or losing your entire stock and in inventory for meals over the next week. It's like, mm -hmm. odds are they would literally just lose a limb. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it is so like fucking stressful inside yeah. of that kind of environment to the point where it has built those kinds of chefs and Sanji in of himself to make them warriors in their own right. Yeah. Yeah, I and did, at least in the live action, I felt like in the interest of time, they did get the the small, like the big enough points off mm -hmm. quick enough. It's just that definitely it, it, they didn't have enough time to marinate or have the opportunity to go through and like settle for enough time where it's just Sanji will feed anybody who is hungry, who walks mm -hmm. through those doors, regardless mm -hmm. of who they are, if they paid, regardless of that case, he is going to make food for them. And food mm -hmm. and respecting the food is like one of his utmost pieces and creeds that he follows by. Yeah, it's uh, it's but, Def's top, top, top 10 and it's also like why like Sanji cares so much about it now. Mm -hmm. Especially with what Zeph like sacrificed at like at those days all at sea. The fact that he would literally lose a limb to feed mm -hmm. himself and make sure that uh, Sanji wouldn't have to like go another day being hungry where it's like, yeah, I could mm -hmm. hide this one can of tuna, but mm -hmm. that could be like a day or two for Sanji to keep living as a kid mm -hmm. to continue right. his dream. And so it's like, I'm not even going to fucking gamble that. I'm going to give him every ounce of food mm -hmm. that I was able to recover through the wreck. And mm -hmm. as long as he survives, I will do whatever it takes on my own way to make mm -hmm. sure that he wouldn't have to, so that he could just suffer one day less of being yes. hungry. Yeah, so it just means so much more. It's also like the end of it, uh, end of that, like when they're stranded, Zeph asks, proclaims to Sanji, like, it'd be nice that uh, at the end of all this, he'll retire from being a pirate because he ate his own leg, so he can't be a pirate anymore. And instead, pursue his dream of like, having a restaurant to feed anybody who's hungry at sea so that they would never have to go through what they went through. So, uh, and he passes off the torch to Sanji in, to, in order to inherit his dream of pursuing the all blue in place of himself. And it's like, wow, this is like huge. Um, his like most important treasure is like his goal to pursue the all blue. And he's passing it off all to Sanji entrusting it, his will. And it's like, oh, so good. Um, there are a lot of things to like about Barati. I think like, there's like the fight with Zora Mihawk that eventually comes out. And the fact that like Mihawk only comes in um by in the yeah, anime is to like yeah, it's just to like finish off Don Krieg, like just in passing. It was just like, hey, I'm here to finish off the this this big dude who's supposed to like the big be the strongest like pirate in the East Blue and like has an armada of like fifty ships uh and a thousand like like a thousand men or something like that, only to be bested by like one man. And it's like, yo, there's always a bigger fish. Yep, it's considering going through because you do get at least with uh Gen like that, he will have the opportunity to go through and then give a little bit of of that motivation to Sanji. But the fact that I you don't really feel like you would lose a lot, uh, with mm -hmm. yeah, and in place completely in, with in Don service, Krieg, sorry. So instead, in place of Don Krieg, they they up it for uh Arlong in order to like uh keep the pacing up. Just to yeah. keep going through the rest of that, yeah. But I, I will admit that Mihawk's introduction as where it's just kind of like, okay, well, the Warlords of the Sea, they're a thing. It's in passing in the live action, but you keep getting reminded of what these entities are, mm -hmm. like, going through the sea at the, like, under the thumb of the world government. Because, mm -hmm. like, holy shit. The, the fact that he's able to go through and not only cut 
cut bullets towards the rest of it or any kind of piece that comes his way. But the fact that Mihawk just like cut an entire naval vessel in half is just absolutely insane. And giving that kind of like power, like in just an instance of seeing Mm -hmm. the power ceiling inside of this series is like, oh, Mm -hmm. so we're going to be getting into that later Mm -hmm. on. It's like, oh shit, we're not even close. Because he only, he gives, he, he fights Zoro with like a kitchen knife. Yeah, a little fruit knife that he keeps on his collar simply for that. So, yeah, I think the... So let's talk about the uh, Zoro versus Mihawk uh, fight. I feel in the live action. um, So in live action, uh, Zoro requests the day after or the morning of at dawn with Mihawk. And Mihawk accepts because it's all like, yeah, sure, I've got time. Why not? Um, Whereas uh, in anime, it happens like as soon as like uh, Don Krieg... As soon as like Zoro... Sorry, Mihawk finds Don Krieg. Sorry, when Mihawk finds Don Krieg, Zaro uh, takes note of the, who this man is. Like, this is my goal. This is the person that I've been looking for. Zoro has like a huge amount of respect for Mihawk based on like his legend as uh, the, the his title as the world's the greatest swordsman, and it's more not necessarily like, a duel to the death. Like Mihawk, he simply just wants to best him in in single combat um, as a way to demonstrate that he is the strongest swordsman. Like, it's more like about the art swordsmanship rather than like i'm just gonna kill you and take your title and i think that's like the nuance there uh but at the very least it's the biggest and then towards the rest of that one of the biggest uh like departures from zora's character in the anime towards the live action is that he is still he's still a hard-ass brooding Mm -hmm. like silent witty kind of swordsman so Mm -hmm. at that point he he goes through about four to five different named attacks inside the anime but then in the Mm -hmm. live action he's just silently and slowly like getting yeah. bested by Mihawk at every single confrontation and every single clash mm-hmm. to the point where it's just you even then at least in the live action you did get to see the gap in their strength but then it it is, seems like it's a lot more prevalent in the animated version because they with the effects that they show with how disheartened that Zoro is going every single clash every mm-hmm. single move every single named attack that he gives gives him nothing but failure and dismay to the point where mm-hmm. oh shit the gap is still this large yeah and it's like nope i'm i'm totally f-, where it's like god damn it I, <sighs> he's so important by that point where it's like nope i lost my second and third swords i'm gonna sheath my first one there's absolutely no way yeah. in that point it's kind of like mm-hmm. so are you done it's like nope well a swordsman can't have any scars on his back back. yeah Yeah. uh scars on a swordsman back are are the greatest shame and like in hearing that mihawk is like has his interest peaked where he's like wow that's admirable this is like this like in both of their minds this is like how swordsmen should be like it's the the honor and the code of 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 a duel um so i think in the phrasing in the anime let's say mihawk is like basically questioning and spurring on zoro's ambition of becoming the strong swordsman like what do you desire once you've obtained obtained power? Um, and after uh, after defeating and sinking um, Zoro with his with his great sword Yoru, it's more like a sign of respect to you to to Zoro and me. Like if if you were a true swordsman, like I understand that you know I'm not gonna hold back on you. So like after he defeats Zoro, he says, uh, "So forge on ahead with that fierce conviction and try to surpass my sword." Mihawk genuinely uh, encouraging Zoro to be like, you know what. You have potential, and I respect that. So keep going. Um, you will not die this day. 
uh, and then Zoro also like crying out uh, at the end of that uh, for failing to for failing to achieve his dream of becoming this world's strongest swordsman and defeating Mihawk, and also like failing his his oblig maybe not obligation but his goal to Luffy's his right dream hand man for Luffy, yeah, right. And he fe and he cries out in that like he ugly cries because like he he feels embarrassed that he can't like uphold those expectations, uh. So he makes an oath to himself not to ever lose again. I don't know. I it it happens in the live action as well, but again, the delivery is just a little little off. I think like yeah. in Zoro's demeanor, he's uh in live action, he's just always super like stiff and always trying to like act tough and cool. Whereas in uh, anime, you get more moments where Zoro's just able to be himself. He's goofy. He sometimes like cracks jokes and laughs along with, with Luffy. It's like the, re when... the reoccurring joke that he has literally fucking no sense of direction only gets like a little bit like a comment inside of yeah uh, inside of what was it uh, the previous mm -hmm. towards Surf Village where it's just in that moment mm -hmm. like in the in the animation like dude doesn't know his his cardinals it's like yeah. forget about knowing north south east and west dude doesn't know what left or right is yeah it's and it's actually... only like a passing mention like yeah. towards the sort of village arc where it's just kind <laughs> of like he meets up with luffy and then it was just kind of like yo zoro how have you been it's like uh climbed out of a well it's like all right you want to go beat at the black cats and it's like uh -huh. yeah that's where i thought i was going i thought the house was this way <laughs> it's like uh -huh. nope. so so the the uh i think the reference to that joke just comes from when he when he gets another sword uh in Logtown, where he gets a cursed sword and after he gets that cursed sword his sense of direction is like pretty off and that's that's they they make that a recurring joke like later from that point on in the series but it's nice, nice that they like make an homage to it here in the live action mm -hmm. um it, yeah but i do admit that what it did seem like if there was ever a time for him to break down lose the hard ass and like edgy demeanor towards the rest of it then it would have been that moment with him yeah. just on the ground ugly crying proclaiming to the world but mostly to luffy where it's yeah. like i will forge onward and continue and i will never lose again and yeah. that would have and that would have seen because he does shout it in the live action but he, yeah. you still see his face incredibly yeah. tense like yeah. it's kind of like yeah he's holding back the tears and he's holding back the rest of it but if there was ever a time for him to do that it's like no yeah. this is going to be yeah how you lose mm -hmm. for the first time in a long time because yeah. at the very least he will be trialed he will be tested mm -hmm. but for him to be beaten so outright to not have anything to show for it like this would have been him at his lowest point and he mm -hmm. sh he, he should have given him a, a little bit like a little bit more of like an ugly cry to kind of like sell the rest of it and to sell it to luffy as well like to mm -hmm. to share luffy's ridiculousness and just openness in that moment so yeah i definitely feel like even though he wasn't able to do a single like attack name even though everybody else in the cast has been able to do that now it mm -hmm. will hopefully in the second season it'll come to a point where he will and like for the first time in the live action, like say, like give an attack name to one of his slashes. And hopefully in that moment, I have an idea about which one he's going to use, but I just hope that in that moment, he actually just mm -hmm. uh, like gives up, becomes a part of the crew and being like, all right, time for me to start naming my attacks now. Yeah. Like, yeah, because like as as a character, like if you're going to be fighting somebody, it's all about like a proclamation of like, this is the style in which I want to proclaim to the world. This is like part of my identity and who I am. So I feel like it makes a lot of sense for Zoro to shout his attacks because he's doing it from like school of discipline as a swordsman. Um, and like, 
uh by and like also like to that effect like uh, sanji also does that because like he's a proud chef and like this is just like it's basically like showing off to the world this is who i am watch me perform in my in my way and watch me kick kick your ass with it and it's like oh that's like cool i i respect that i think it would make mm. more sense but we'll see yeah, because um, I, I do still think that even though the more notable arc is coming up, it's kind of like with the introduction of Sanji getting the crew together, everybody's still having that opportunity to stick around, become a crew, and like have that kind of uh, like inter like interpersonal chaos between the rest of it, and having Sanji for like finally come on board, which I do admit did seem a little like it's like oh yeah no we need it's it's less like Sanji wanting to be to go out to sea and see and to find the blue for himself it's it's more like just because like they got to go chase after nami which like instigates yeah. like why they got to go right and we need a dude who can cook so it's yeah, just yeah. and then he like and and so the fact that he walks on board it's cool that he's immediately bantering the zoro so it's like uh, yeah. okay good these guys have definitely got the repertoire down but it's also kind yeah. of like yeah he he does get he does get a send off with zeph, zeph and the rest of the the chefs but like we've only seen one or we've only like talked to one other chef besides Zeph inside of the restaurant. So it was kind yeah. of like seeing the rest of them behind Zeph yeah. as they say their farewells was I still felt it because the relationship between Zeph and Sanji was built up enough mm -hmm. to the point where you could still feel everything that Sanji was able to get from him and what he's leaving behind, but for the better bit of it, considering that it is something where it's just I will go find the blue. I will go to the Brotherhood. Then why are you still working here? Why yeah. are you still staying here? It's just then go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If this is what you want, follow your dream and go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it was. Yeah, I, I did enjoy this arc of the f of the ones that we were able to go through the first season. This was probably my favorite. Mm, yeah, I think it's it's probably the strongest I, episode five. Is, I think it's probably the stronger one. I think it just like it hits. It's just sh short lived because they have to keep the, the story moving and then just move on so it, like it doesn't form like a nice satisfying conclusion for uh sanji's arc where he defeats a villain and is able to like move on from that and like join luffy's crew without like any any, any regrets whereas like now you still have like something bigger on the horizon that he's got to figure out um and it isn't necessarily like and also because they didn't have like a big antagonist to like overcome for barati like everybody else's character conclusions are still kind of left ambiguous like you know you can kind of just say like all right guys uh arlong messed up our restaurant and we're we're down a we're down a chef now rather than be like uh our ship is, is in tatters uh but we'll rebuild it and we'll still be a strong we'll still be the cook pirates and we will still be serving out uh customers food i th it, there's a different inflection to that Towards the rest of it, yeah, it's yeah. There, it was still more than enough to like get it through. But then, mm -hmm. even even with the stuff that it was missing, it it was able to go through and add enough to go through the rest of it. I mean, I did like that, especially like Sanji's character, like as a young kid. Mm -hmm. Probably one of my favorite lines of that entire arc is like just fucking oregano's for savages. Like the first <laughs> time he sees Zeph as he's going through to loot and plunder the ship, he goes through uh, Sanji's kitchen, and he's only like what twelve at this point, and he sees the mm -hmm. pirate. Mm -hmm. with blood on his shoes strolling through the kitchen mm -hmm. and he's not at all not necessarily like scared but he's not like angry mm -hmm. to, until he walks up and it's like hmm this should this should have some regno it's like i'm a fucking kill him <laughs> it's like yeah. oregano's for savages how dare this pirate it's like 
He can kill everybody on board. If he touches my Groton, I am going to get a knife into his back. <laughs> it's the last thing I do. Yeah. Uh, like I, I did appreciate like that being their first like major uh interaction in the rest mm -hmm. of it. So it's just and I do think that if one of the biggest lines that's gonna stand out to me in this entire live action is definitely gonna be a regidos for savages because <laughs> I also I also despise it with a passion. Yeah, it's like I don't know. Uh they they gave Sanji's backstory like maybe two or three minutes total. In anime, they give him like like basically a full episode, like really like contemplate like what it feels like to starve and like all these sort of things and like coming to terms with, like Zeph's backstory. But you know, for the sake of continuing the show, they they, they got to do what they got to do. But it's it's mm. good. I think it was alright. Uh, -huh. uh yep. so like it moves us all on over to Arlong Park. So um, let's see. Uh, it was definitely something that was expected towards the rest of it. Like you knew, like at least in the live action, that Nami was going to be like moving forward and mm -hmm. trying to get back to Arlong to try to figure out where they were right. going and why she was doing yeah. all of this in the first place. It was sprinkled but, into uh, the the previous arcs where uh, she was just corresponding. Like there were we we were given we were foreshadowed uh, that Nami was an assail was an accomplice to another pirate gang or association uh and this is just like the payoff to that so it's fine but it's like yeah at least leading into it there wasn't as there wasn't as much towards the rest because at least we did get to see arlong and what i think that was six mm -hmm. leading on towards confrontation leading towards like chasing after nami and mm -hmm. getting towards the rest of it and making it over to the tangerine farm and try to see like where nami came from and what her entire set was because bill eh, yeah Belmere? Yeah, because I mean, Belmere was, she was a mom. That was for sure. She, yeah. So in live action, Belmere is like just like your middle-aged mom who's just like, yeah, man, I'm I'm frugal and and I'm a mom and I used to be a marine and those are like the three tenants were that she has going for her. In the anime manga, Belmere is just she's like she was a rem like according to so like. According to Gen, when Nami like runs away after their confrontation, uh, Gen fills her in on like who her mom used to be, and her mom used to be like just a like a wild punk and hellraiser in the town until she went off to join the Marines and become a like a proper person. Uh, and and after here she's mostly yeah. just a in the live action, it's like she is a random Marine that was in the middle of a mm -hmm. massacre, and she Battle. decides to, yeah. and she just saves uh, Nami and her sister. Yeah. So, like, I think it robs, like, Belmere's character, where Belmere puts it on herself to become a mother, to, like, to take on two refugees, two orphans uh, of war, and, like, say, like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do what I can in order to be a good mom uh, or to provide for them. So, like, in anime, you get to see, like, a lot of the backstories of, like, how she raises them. Like, uh, Belmere runs a tangerine uh, orchard farm and that's how they make their funds but you know it's still not making ends meet so she does a lot of things to sacrifice for her kids her you know orphaned adopted kids um she skips out of meals but she downplays it as her like just being on a diet she upcycles uh like old hand-me-downs because they can't really afford new new clothing or some things like that so she hand sews new clothing for nami from nojiko's uh uh old old set old clothing um and it's also reinforced that they're poor because like nami uh feels compelled to steal because they don't have any money and that's kind of the strains of like what it feels like to be a single mom so like all of, all of that like is compiled into showing you like the amount of effort that Belmir puts into her kids 
Uh, even when like when Arlong like raids the uh, raids the village, she's competent. Like we see that Belmir is like a punk, uh, and she's just competent. She knows how to like, handle a gun. She like straddles, she kicks down down the door and like straddles uh, Arlong and puts a gun to his face and like you know it's like whatever. Like she knows that she's bested, but even so, like she tries to ma maintain her composure and tries to keep the whereabouts daughters at bay. Um, as not to alert Ar Arlong. Uh, even like that whole scene with like Arlong noticing like three plates on the table. How many people are here? It's actually Gen who comes in to to help out uh, Belmir, where he's like, "Hey, Belmir, uh, you remember that you invited me for dinner, right? Uh, let's get to it. Huh, that food's gonna get cold." Whereas like in live action, it's just like, "Oh yeah, I actually do have two daughters. Let me, let me just like sit it out right right now because I'm a mom and I'm refusing to to hide that fact." And it's like, uh. <sighs> I don't know, man. There, there's yeah. small parts of that arc that make me feel. And this is. I wish they would have just given it a little bit more time. I think it really needed it. Um, yeah, the, the kind of like the half episode, like shave a half episode length of time off of syrup and then give it to Kokoyashi and give it to Arlong Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just given that much more allocation of time and resources to kind of like go through and depth. So like, it's yeah. It, there's not really much that you could do like in hindsight towards the rest of that, and there was only so much time that they could do. So they were hoping that. With mm -hmm. that extent, they would just give like two episode chunks, but mm -hmm. yeah, in, I don't know. At that point, it doesn't necessarily have to be all uniform. It mm -hmm. should be, you should be given like specific pieces and specific moments, the mm -hmm. time and the energy and the resources to like breathe in a way that will breathe new life into a different medium in this case, which mm -hmm. I kind of didn't really feel for a lot of the big moments because at least a lot of episode seven, like leading towards the rest of it, it's just you do get to see that, but then most of it is either focusing on, we do get to see Arlong bribing the Marines, and then we get to see Nezumi, and then seeing how that relationship goes and how Arlong is able to survive towards the rest of it. You don't really, like, Arlong keeps talking about the different the distribution as well as the discrimination towards fish people, but it doesn't, mm -hmm. he, like, he says it, uh, like once whenever he enters the Baratier and then yeah. as he goes to burn down Kokoyashi he also like says it's like yeah for too long the humans have gone through and the rest of it. it's like dude you've been you've enslaved these humans in this village for like yeah. what eight years yeah and so you're just gonna go like and you're going to go through and burn them as an example it's just kind of like uh I don't yeah. necessarily know too much and then I did appreciate the man meets man or or man respects man version of Garp uh, going over and like chatting with with mm -hmm. Zeph towards the rest, but how long they decided to stay there to figure out where essentially they all like mm -hmm. Luffy's crew went was kind of mm -hmm. it it was a little too much, as in like yeah, it took over, away they, too much time for that episode. Yeah, too much screen, and it's also like um, so that's like coming back to like uh, yeah, Krieg Krieg and Zeph having their their conversation with each other, where it's in place of the it's Garp and Zeph having the conversation about the old guard, and like just also vouching for Zeph's credibility as a as a pirate, like how competent he was as a pirate from Garp. Um so I think it was okay for them to fit that in. But but you're right, they they spent a little bit too much time. They added in a small little scene with uh Kobe and Helmepo like sharing about the um exposition about like uh the Shishibukai and the the uh warlords. So and also like what they're gonna do with Luffy, but I don't know. It's I don't know. It it was tacked on, and I think that they just felt like they needed to do something with those characters because they're like they're there, and they gotta do they gotta like eventually get their way to Kokiashi Village, 
and you know confront Luffy at the end. Moving on to this, the rest of it, yeah, mm -hmm. because you do get at the end of the day like why Nami was doing the things that she was doing and how much she was saving and how much the majority of that goes, but it it does feel like an emotional moment in the live action when Nezumi, who not only has been taking bribes from Arlong, goes through, mm -hmm. but also Steals. takes a tip where it's like, ooh, I, mm -hmm. it's like, I know where you could find 100 million berry just on the down low. And mm -hmm. it's, I don't know how exactly they knew where to find, but I guess it was near Kokiyashi Village, so that's also kind of fine. And the moment itself as Nami loses everything is good and played out, but one of the only moments that I knew that was going to happen leading in before the live action came out, where it's like one of the, I only know like a handful of One Piece moments, but they are mm -hmm. those that have been replayed so often that even if you haven't seen the show, you know specific story beats that have impact and ones that are remembered towards the rest of it. And mm -hmm. that, and Luffy's declaration is definitely one of those towards the rest of it, mm -hmm. where Nami is just over it. She's trying to, stab Arlong's tattoo away from her arm and finally she has the confrontation saying that even though Luffy doesn't have the full extent of what's going on all he sees is one of his friends just at the end of their rope and in trouble and he wants to help them in any way that they can so he mm -hmm. gives her his hat and then makes the declaration that of course he's going to help her but in the live action he like he gives it he gives her the hat and then slowly places it on her head and then starts what sounds like muttering to himself, of mm -hmm. course I will, of course I will, I cor of course I will, kind of like yeah. a the little yeah. engine that could. Yeah, uh, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Like, like, just kind of rev him up in order to like uh, finally say like I can confront uh, Arlong. Whereas like it, in in anime, the, the intention behind Luffy is like I'm doing it because I just see one of my my friends are hurt, and that's it. That's all the motivation I need uh, to like just do this. I'm gonna walk in there. I'm gonna ask who's Arlong. And just punch the first person that I see. That's his motivation. Whereas, like, here, because Luffy was present for the backstory explanation from Nojiko, it, and it changes already, his intent. quote-unquote, fought he knows. once. Yeah. yeah, so, like, he knows. Like, uh, when, when Luffy has, like, like, why are you here? I don't know. Or, like, I don't know. He knows why so he's there. Yeah, it, it seems like it's not, it's not that he's not only helping a friend in need, but he also has to, like, rev himself up to the point where it's like, all right, this dude kicked my ass once, I'm going to have to, like, make sure that I know that I can beat him mm -hmm. towards the rest of it. But the way that he says it multiple times kind of, uh, like, takes away the effectiveness of him just saying it once, mm -hmm. where it's just, she asks him for help, he puts her his hat on her head, and then he walks away, and then he leans down, takes in some air and then declares it to the world and then yeah. immediately mm -hmm. like grabs his crew and starts strutting towards Arlong Park. And Let's so go. That, right. Yeah. And uh, so the fact that, and so like how episode seven ends where it's just, yeah, he gives his declaration. He sees his crew. Let's go. Boom, oh fuck. Boom. They burned Coco boom, village. Boom, boom, boom. And, and like, and so it's on fire and it's like, yeah. Oh, so now we have to go take the energy that we had revving ourselves up to go and like wreck shit in Arlong Park. Mm -hmm. Now we have to point it in another direction and have it simmer and settle mm -hmm. to go through the remnants of Coco Village mm -hmm. and then take that energy to go over yeah. and like to go wreck shit there. It, it kind of yeah. did take a bit of the moment away from me where it's just you had that energy and then you had to dilute it and then yeah. try to redirect it again as to where yeah. you were supposed to go in the first place. Yeah. 
like I don't know, like the the whole overtaken scene where like his whole like his famous like bum 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 scene uh, or or theme in the background and like he's just assembling his crew and be like, yo, we know what we're 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 no we know what we're here to do. We're here to follow our our our, our leader. Yeah, so that's I'm glad they include like the iconography from it, but I don't know, down a little watered down. And also happened at night instead of like just during like broad daylight. Uh, so it's like so dark, uh, and it's like more difficult to see like what these characters are doing. I know it's like they're they're using the darkness to emulate the tragedy of Coco Village being burned down more, mm-hmm. but it's just that's not. I, I'm pretty sure like does it get sacked or trashed in the anime version? Because otherwise, uh, it's basically it's pretty run down or just over the years of like being in Arlong Arlong's uh, territory. So like that's so, yeah. why it's happening, but they're not exactly like sacking the village. That's already happened. It's more like like Arlong is just chilling out in his park, like laughing about like what's going on. That's it. That's all it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it it just didn't really seem like a necessary thing to like burn Coco again. Like Coco was already run down by the time the crew even got there. But then it's yeah. like, ha, we're gonna burn it again. Tinders again? Like, dude, Arl- the one of the one of the houses in the village was already flipped upside down the mm-hmm. first time that Arlon came there, like and eight still years there. ago. And like still there. <laughs> it's still upside down. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> like, dude, you already wrecked the place. Like, you don't need to go do it Wreck to it again. again. And so it's just, um, yeah, that does take away from the stride and from the walking up moment. Yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like the the episode of that inside the anime where it's just like Nami gets all of her stuff stolen. And then because the village wants to go behind and, you know, mm-hmm. rally behind her where it's like, we'd rather be dead than mm-hmm. serve the fishmen. And so they all go off to essentially mm-hmm. like get slaughtered. Right. And that's when Nami breaks down. And that's when mm-hmm. she is finally mm-hmm. asking Luffy for help. Right. And then Luffy and his crew, like basically after the decoration, like in broad daylight, light a cigarette and start strutting towards our long park to like get shit done like that. Yeah. Like those beats in like, all in a row would have just been a phenomenal piece. But then the mm. fact that it's kind of like all slipshod and all over the place, yeah. like in the live action was just kind of like, man, this, yeah. this could have been better. That's what I'm finding about like a lot of like live action where the series of events are unfolded in different sequences and it just changes the connotation of like how we interpret the scenes. I think like one good uh, note of this that's in, in this episode is like Nojiko revealing the backstory of Nami to, to the Straw Hats where in anime, uh, Nojiko knows why why Nami is working with the Yarlong pirates because she has a goal to like buy out the village. Like, if I could solve this issue with enough money, then then it's fine. I can endure it all by myself. And like Nojiko, so like uh, she asked Nojiko to keep it a secret from the villagers, as not to make them worry to like go after her because she doesn't want anybody to get hurt for for pursuing her and trying to help her. And that's why she's always like so individualistic and like uh avoidant for receiving help she just wants to keep everybody safe so that like it's, it also like hits home like why like her asking for help is such a such a more big deal uh when she makes that proclamation nojiko let's also like it changes the relationship between nojiko and nami where uh because nojiko knows about why the intentions why nami uh nami's doing all this uh it makes her likable and makes her have like a nuance like perspective like how Nojiko is so serious with Nami where Nami's like not just like a, a villain to like the villagers it's more like uh all the villagers already know 
and but they're strained because like they're they see her being put in a position where she has to help help the Arlong pirates. You know, she goes also like sometimes like the shoulder to lean upon to Nami, and like here in live action, she's just like outright like uh un unlikable or like she just dis like hates Nami, and that like that that removes a lot of like the worth and value of the relation. So. I don't know. It just turns Nojiko into like, "Hi, I'm just a sister." From, from like, um, I'm I'm an I'm a comp I'm a competent and caring sister, and I understand the struggles that you're going through. To you know, a sister is like, "Let me spit at you because I hate you." You know, you only get that revelation after when she's digging up uh, her her funds from Belmere's grave. It's like, oh, uh, like I don't know, man. They did Nojiko so dirty for that. Uh, even Gen, because Gen is like kind of like a father figure to uh, Nami, where Gen looked after. Uh, so she, like Gen, provided the backstory for for Nami's for Belmir to Nami, and like understands like why she, uh, it hits home for like why to why Belmir cares so much about Nami, and and Nami like recognizing that. It was like small things like that. Yeah, it definitely seemed like there was just a bit that was left on the cutting room floor that it didn't necessarily use to the best degree. And they were trying to fill out a lot of stuff in between to see what they could add towards the rest of it. But it didn't necessarily seem like they succeeded in that. And that's one of the reasons why it kind of just falls flat on me because I've heard of all these moments, but seeing that they weren't added upon or expanded just didn't, didn't necessarily like give the show a proper way to make us care about the these grand declarations that were going towards the rest of it. And then once the conflict actually happens and we get the action and we get the beats that happen towards the rest of the story, there's even stuff missing from there too, considering yeah. that there's, they've just finally ran out of time and yeah. they need to get through all along park towards the rest of it, that mm -hmm. they will have to get rid of some characters. They will have to go through the rest of it. And some, some of them will just have to do make do with what they've been given and try to like, out the rest of it because we do get Kurobi, yes, because we do get Kurobi, but we don't get Hachi, yeah, and so that just doesn't that kind of like takes Zoro's involvement away from the rest of the fight. But at the very least, Sanji still gets to fight him, but not into a degree as much as he was able to inside the anime, yeah, and and like also like a, lo a large majority of the episode for um episode eight was uh for Garp uh coming. To Kokoyashi Village to like clean up the crew, to clean up the the straggler Arlong pirates and like Nezumi as well. So I don't know. I think like a a good note was like how Luffy uncovers like to 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 tie up that plot line between Kobe and Luffy is like finally they get to reunite and meet and Kobe is the one to reveal to Luffy uh his dream of becoming a wanted man and giving him the poster of his bounty and I was like yeah this is cool. Yeah, you instead get, like... of Nezumi being the one to, out of spite, like say, "Hey, I hate these guys." Uh, mm -hmm. Luffy needs to be like put on a wanted poster towards the rest of it. But the fact that mm -hmm. they, uh, what is it, Garp was able to be there to witness the moment of Luffy becoming a wanted man, and then mm -hmm. having the rest of, and having Kobe be the one to like mm -hmm. give Luffy, it's like, "Hey, this is what you want. <laughs> You're a wanted man. You now have a bounty." So mm -hmm. now there will be people chasing you through the rest of the world. It's like, yeah, but it's going to be more fun that way. It's like, yeah. oh, that's that's fucking cool. Yeah, that's I think that's true to the characters and like what they want. And uh, yeah, uh, and like also like them for them to borrow off of that whole character development from Water Seven when like they so a lot of episodes six 
to eight uh, borrows a lot of elements of Water Seven, where uh, Nami is like questioning Luffy of what he's going to do as a captain. Like, what are you going to do? You have to make the hard choices, and that only really comes into revelation in Water Seven arc, a much later arc in One Piece, when the crew is falling apart and uh, Luffy doesn't know like what direction he wants to take the crew. So they're boring. They're lifting a lot of that. It's also like the arc where Garp and Kobe are get get reintroduced to the series. So that's where they're drawing a lot of the inspiration from. And I don't know if it was like necessary here, but they they added it in because they had they they could, and it's material that fits within uh, Garp and Kobe and uh, Helmeppo as well. So I don't know. It was creative liberty in order to keep pacing up. So I'm I'm curious to see like what they're gonna do for the following season. Um, or sorry, let, let before we get even to that, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about like the final fight with Arlong. Yeah, because it's just there were portions I think that were amplified because of the live action, but then the more and more I looked at it, there were a handful of other things that didn't necessarily uh, like add or live up to any of the expectation. Because I mean, at the very least, Usopp's fight t- towards the rest of it didn't really like got enough just enough screen time for him to be on his own to be able to have the opportunity to fight and like use his wits and give himself the opportunity to go through in a fight and still have that being something where it's like oh yeah dude i totally kicked that guy's ass like back in the forest and it's just kind of like yeah off screen (laughs) nobody else was here and it's like yeah yeah Yeah. it's like and the great captain usopp is able to fell his opponent in front of nobody (laughs) it's like oh boy yeah. The fight with Chu is, is fun. I like I like that they gave Usopp like his own his own moments to fight in his own way. Those are good. Zoro also doesn't really have much to work with here in this arc because Hachin isn't there. Um Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have his entourage, he doesn't have his two boys, his brothers. Yeah. yeah. And so he doesn't have the opportunity to use his three swords again. It's mm-hmm. only just him and his one like going around and trying to do as much as he can in the injured state because mm-hmm. he is also injured in the anime but he's yeah. like on his last legs and my dude is still like hemorrhaging blood like even arlong yeah. i'll piss like, him up and he's like yo how are you how are you alive how is this man even alive <laughs> yeah so but there's only so much that they can do and so they would have to they have to basically two-man Kurobi towards the rest of it and that fight like only goes about two minutes or so yeah, and it was probably one of the more awkward fights that I'd seen, or the more the awkward conclusion of the fights, because it starts off well enough with Kurobi like doing doing his best and having a much more adaptable fighting style near the water and giving him the force necessary to do a two on one, and then it's that standard of like nobody talks shits about Nami. It's like okay, yeah, here you go. Now you now you pissed off. It's like okay, fine. But the way in the live action that Sanji's kicks are kind of like resets and mm-hmm. it's not it is such an awkward cutting between the rest of it where it's like he does get all of his or most of it most of his kicks off but it's kind of like he goes to the spinning kick and he hits him in the ribs and then it resets him back to point one where it's like he hasn't even landed a kick yet he's still mm-hmm. standing at motion mm-hmm. so it's kind of like kicks him in the ribs reset now i'm mm-hmm. gonna kick him in the shoulder reset. reset and the only two other kicks that goes through is that he gets is that he actually no? So the he gives a kick to the ribs and then resets to the shoulder. And at the very least, from the shoulder, he's able to. He's still connected to him and gives him the, a chest kick. And so at the, and so at that goes through. But everything is just slipshottingly thrown together to try to emulate the final like beatdown that he is able to give Kurobi towards the rest yeah. of it. Because in the live action, he still does give a Muton shot, but. Yeah. 
it's like the guy it's like the stunt dude is on mm-hmm. he's so obviously on a wire and yeah. like taken back and he gets kicked up against a straw wall and he's down for the count that it's just that's mm-hmm. not really anything towards the rest of it whereas i i, I did i hadn't revisited because i knew from somewhere that i had seen the end of sanji's fight versus Kurobi as like a random clip on youtube like in the early 2010s like it was there but seeing it now and the absolute beatdown that he he beats the brakes off of Kurobi for like mm-hmm. a minute straight and it's some of the most brutal set of kicks that he's able to do like the fact that his instead of his neck kick being like a slow soft lead in and tap and uh the actor for Kurobi really has to sell it like he has to bend his neck to like give the image of there being forced behind that kick yeah and I, of course there's only so much you can do inside of those kinds of fights in in with live action without having to rely on special effects but mm-hmm. then the fact that like how impactful every single one of sanji's kicks seems mm-hmm. in the in the animated version are just leagues above with the impact that is given inside the live action and it just yeah. doesn't really sell that kind of dynamic motion and mysticism of that movement mm-hmm. to the point where if, like if I wanted to do something different because the how he's able to like knock him out of commission it's just kind of like yeah sure he kicks him like four to five times but then his shot shoots Kurobi through Arlong's palace and through the wall and it's yeah. like oh yeah no yeah. that dude's not gonna move for like a month yeah it really like in, yeah like in in live action it's like hard to pull off those feats just for like like for for set restrictions but uh like yeah like just in anime you see like the force that that sanji's kicks are able to like emit like he's able to like just break rocks concrete anything like his his legs can like do do it all uh and it's really just like show you like this is like this is the straw hat crew this these are the monsters that uh they're dealing with and it just doesn't necessarily because i could have like seen them do a similar vein because it's like oh they have to kick kurobi against the wall it's like sure Mm -hmm. but you could have also it would have made for like a funny bit because Mm -hmm. as luffy is able to go and he is confronting arlong with nami in the room and so they're able to go through and have those moments where luffy finally gets the context of what nami was going through and the kind of isolation and pain that she had to endure drawing all of arlong's maps Mm -hmm. and trying to get as much of the east blue drawn so that when arlong was good and ready Mm -hmm. he would try to conquer Mm -hmm. it with as many fishmen as he possibly could muster Mm -hmm. and so like you he luffy saw the chains he saw the rest of it he what arlong is able to show off his shark tooth sword and Mm -hmm. luffy is able to in it is still really good vein. Like, th- like that was mm-hmm. one of the better moments I thought in that episode where it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, no, I'm going to threaten Luffy because he's still not mm-hmm. anything remotely close to being able to topple my empire. And Luffy, like for the first time, shows his anger and shows how much mm-hmm. of a threat he is by, like as he does in the show, breaking the sword with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going through and having the opportunity to miss that. And as he's fighting Arlong and he's still not able to you know, fight Arlong up to the best of his ability, it would have been a perfect moment for where it's kind of like Luffy is losing confidence and he's losing, like, ground against Arlong, but mm-hmm. then Kurobi flies through the background, like, <laughs> through the wall and yeah, yeah. through the building, and then Luffy's like, 
oh shit, my crew is also holding their own outside. Ah shit, I can't like let myself yeah. get outdone by them. This would be a perfect time for me to you know crank yeah. crank it up a gear. But then yeah, it's also one of the things that doesn't happen inside of any of Luffy's fights with Arlong. He doesn't bite him at yeah. all. Yeah. Like Arlong, Arlong, the shark man, the shark the does not bite anybody inside of the crew. Like he he threatens mm -hmm. to bite Luffy in the neck in like episode mm -hmm. six when yeah, before Nami intervenes. But outside of it, like Arlong does not get a single bite in on Luffy. Period. And that was a little disappointing. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like this, I don't know. Like yeah, like the whole idea of like. This is these are how the characters fight as a ways to like showcase their identity. I think is important. So like having those named attacks, showing the quirks of like how like characters fight is like important. So I would have liked to see like uh, Arlong do more shark related sort of combat or like something something to that effect, right? They I, they they showed the scene of him like regrowing his teeth, which is fine. It's an allusion to like actually like what happened where like he gets punched in the face, has his teeth broken, then only for like more teeth to come out and like. On, to layer on top of that, he takes out his teeth like dentures uh, and uses them as weapons because of how sharp they are. So there, there's there's part of that. And I know that like for time constraints, it's like hard to pull that off. Uh, I think like the impact of the final kick was good. It was okay. Um, yeah, that was probably the like one of the better sets because they were on a, at least in the anime, they were a couple stories up inside the navigation in the map room. Mm -hmm. And so that would have given like a bit more of a set, but there was still enough sub basement to still give Luffy's battle axe that mm -hmm. impact where it's like, not only is it going to be breaking through the foundation of Arlong's entire, mm -hmm. uh, of his entire palace, but he's mm -hmm. also going to have that impact. So in such a great amount of force that it's going to drive him through the floor. Yeah. And everything. Floors, and it, plural. Yeah, exactly. All of his, and then all of his dreams, all of his, because I think that's something I, I did like inside the live action where it's just kind of like, yeah, Luffy, you think that because he did have a couple of arms up on Arlong in a parts of his fights inside of the anime, mm -hmm. but you never really feel that inside of the live action. But at the mm -hmm. very least, if you like Luffy outside of his battle axe was mm -hmm. being outfought and like out brutalized, but yeah. he does look around and in that same vein where it's like, I can't beat you but I can beat down everything you've built. And so mm -hmm. he starts to punch the walls and destroy yeah. the foundation and kind of like break towards the rest of it so that yeah. when he finally lands mm -hmm. that final decisive blow with his mm -hmm. battle axe, mm -hmm. everything crumbles down and everything just falls apart. He's, he has broken Arlong, not only physically and mentally, but he's also beaten him to the point where his empire is, will no longer be able to recover. Mm -hmm. And so having that moment and standing atop the rubble of what was or what used to be his palace was definitely like a fun that was still a moment that rang true in the live action as much as it did in the uh anime mm -hmm. i there like i've i wonder if like whether or not that uh impact could have been felt like in different ways where they could have used like different panning shots or like ways to like convey like yeah this is the strength and the feats that luffy was willing to go to in order to like free nami from her shackles and the things that tethered her to this village so yeah they they did that off, and it's also like the 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 citizens of Kokiyashi Village weren't there to witness uh, Arlong's defeat, so it makes the feel the win like maybe not less triumphant, but it's a little bit different. It would have been kind of cool to be like when he's making that loud, loud proclamation, like "You're my friend, you're my crew," uh, to everybody else to let let it be known like this is this is who Nami is, and this is how much we care about her, and let's and 
yeah, let's 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 celebrate. And everybody's glad that somebody it, it and they're glad to see somebody other than them care mm-hmm. care about Nami to such a degree yeah. to like yeah. make her a part of that crew and to actually be a part of a pirate set that actually treats her like a person and is as important as everybody thinks they are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been really but then leading towards the rest of it, it's like kind of the same deal at the end of Syrup, where it's like the residents of Cocoa Village, A, don't get to see any of what happens in Arlong Park. And then mm-hmm. B, it's like, yo, your village has been entirely burnt down. Mm-hmm. And yes. you, you're holding a party in the ruins of your... It's like, I don't know, towards the rest of it. Yeah. At the very least, in the anime, when Nezumi gets beaten up and taken out, it's like Nami makes it a point to say every single bit of that hundred million berry mm-hmm. is going to go towards Coco and mm-hmm. for their rebuild and for mm-hmm. their prosperity and for their sake. And you're not going to touch a single cent. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, understandable. Have a nice day. Whereas yeah. all the Marines leave mm-hmm. and they knock out Nezumi as he gets dragged away by the Marines. But yeah. we don't really get the guarantee that like, where did that hundred million berry? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, 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 the... like what happened? Instead, we have to fight Garp. Yeah. And, like, that's about it. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit odd. It, it, it just dampens some of, the, like, the, the core, core values of the characters. Like, Nami's all about money and, like, why she, like, has such a high uh, pedestal on it and, like, what it can do. Uh, it's for those reasons. And, like, why she's also, like, so inclined for, like, thievery and all these sort of things. It all just plays back to, like, why, why she does it. So... Yeah, I don't know. It it kind of dilutes a lot of like character motivations, yeah, but otherwise it, it's, it's okay. it is diluted towards the show. Because at the end of the day, yeah, like for One Piece, yes, it the live action was a little bit of a diluted version because of the amount of time they had left and because of the amount of things that they had to fill towards the rest of that. At the end of the day, it's still the best live action like TV adaptation that we've gotten for an anime period. Like that's like that goes without saying. All in all, it was good. It was probably it was still the best adaptation that we got thus far. I'm hoping that uh, when they do the Alabas saga, that uh, they spend a little bit more time like fleshing out the individual islands because I think that's like really when the Straw Hats form themselves as a crew, getting themselves up into all sorts of shenanigans, and then you also get to see like new dynamics play out across the different Straw Hat characters, like uh, how Sanji and Sanji and Nami interact, how is uh, Sanji and uh, Zoro interact. Uh, Usopp, and eventually even Chopper. Like, I'm excited to see like how they're going to pull this off, and I hope that they learn more about from this season and implement it into the next. Um, so, who knows? I'm okay to wait for another two years, three years, whenever the uh, it's going to go back into production. Because I do trust with what they've been able to do and accomplish, like within this adaptation. I mean, to be fair, uh, production. I think it was tomorrow. Tomorrow, production. tomorrow, tomorrow productions or tomorrow studios. Tomorrow Studios, yeah. So it's like, yeah, at this point in time, like, Tomorrow Studios was definitely, like, a little bit of a concerning point, especially leading into this adaptation with everything that went wrong with... In Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop. But to be fair, if there was one thing that I could give the majority of their, like, cast and crew, it was that the actors that they hired were, like, really good fits for people in in the live-action adaptation of Cowboy Bebop, and Mm -hmm. the set design, like, still was great to the point where Mm -hmm. they did make you feel like you were inside of those worlds. Mm -hmm. Too bad the script was just so far below anything that we would have expected. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's that's what it is. Like, 
I, I, I can see the care that they put into the sets and like also like why they, they structured the story as they did for the One Piece adaptation. They have a lot of, of references to like small character moments. Like they include like a lot of like homages and like uh, um, Easter eggs for fans of the series. And it's like, so if they, if they know about it, then they, they're clearly like doing the research. They don't have to include all these small little points, but they're doing it just for fun. They include like small shots of like Panda Man in there. Uh, which is like an ongoing like gag character that uh, Oda includes in some of his panels, just to see like if you if you can find him, he's everywhere. He's like in a whole whole bunch of spots, uh, and they include that in the live action adaptation. It's also like like uh, references to later arts in the series, like Gallery La, uh, the Shipwright Company from Water Seven, also shows off on like some crates uh, when they're in um, a marine base, like small small things like that. It's 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 nice to show that uh, they care about it. Even like in in small characters that aren't necessarily named in the live action, we know who those characters are. Like at Brati, there's a uh, Captain Fullbody, or like yeah, which is uh, so Captain Fullbody is like the guy who's picking a fight with the pirate at the table, uh, and he's actually like a more important character for Sanji because uh, one, uh, it shows like. This is what uh, full so full body is is taking somebody out on a date and uh, and is trying to impress his date with his wine knowledge, but like Sanji goes in and like corrects him like no that's not even close. It like shows a lot of like things things about him. It's like Sanji's witty. He he's knowledgeable about cooking. He's also really strong because full body uh, was uh, what you call it was the one who originally uh, fired the cannonball against. The straw hats but luffy deflected it and it hit the varati which is why luffy was at the varati working doing dishes originally <laughs> so just small things like that they like and they make sure that the costume characters were there just so like hey like if you know you know exactly um, it's, it's it's one of those things where you don't have to they're not blatantly spouting out where it's like oh this is captain fullbody of the marines who was able to go through and he's been like on their crew and trying to like go through like they're not because they mm -hmm. don't have the time to reintroduce all of these named characters in the anime. Right. But right. at the very least, they can set you up. If you see their design and you see their attitude and the way that they carry themselves, and it's like, oh, phenomenal. I know mm -hmm. exactly who you are and you haven't said a single word. And so mm -hmm. it's been phenomenal, at least, especially with the production crew, to like give those designs that kind of style and flourish and recognizability. Mm -hmm. So where's the rest of it? And yeah, it's just a lot of people around this. Like between... The showrunners like Stephen Maeda and Matt Owens, like they did a phenomenal job on top of the writing crew, on top of the people that they were able to go through and direct what they needed to do and accomplish mm -hmm. for a story of this caliber. And so the fact that at the end of the day, I still think that they were able to succeed in more ways than one. And that is definitely a surprising bit and a mm -hmm. and something that is very rare nowadays. And hopefully it will lead the charge for like more adaptations like this in the future. Yeah, absolutely. The the they they now hold the crown for best anime adaptation, live action ad, anime adaptation to date. Although like the bar was relatively low to be to begin with. That's the problem. Uh, yeah, it's like yeah. congratulations, you raised your knee and took a step over. But the fact that you were able to like go through, it's like no, I'm not going to just walk over this bar. I'm going to build and set mm -hmm. a new one that mm -hmm. has to be recognized and like taken into note whenever anybody else is going to even attempt to adapt these kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. Who knows? We'll see what the next arcs are going to be like and hope that whatever tomorrow productions or whatever the this the state of 
live action anime adaptations comes um that it's going to be for the best we're definitely like on a better path for sure yeah hopefully we'll be able to yeah <laughs> at that point in time hopefully they get enough seasons in that they reach the grand line by the time that the characters themselves are able to go through and so the time skip actually feels uh, like like a sizable natural. like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you actually like have the work like every the gang but come back together and like you get to see like oh this is the new crew this is what i've been up to the fact that we have the opportunity and that they might it could be successful enough that you would actually be able to get to that point in the story would be it would be crazy the they're, fact they're that asking, actually yeah they're asking for 12 seasons though so like how feasible is them is that for them to uh to do that yeah it, like they're asking <laughs> for 12 seasons and then i would imagine like, netflix is going to be like okay know, man we need you to see well then if you're asking for 12 seasons we need we need 12 successful seasons we're not going to be we're not going to be dumb like rick and morty and it's like we're going to immediately mm -hmm. like sign down on we will give you whatever production you need for 10 seasons and it's like no 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 no, no. we like they, they need results and thankfully yeah. I, I do think first season was enough to instill confidence into any of the producers that are going to be like moving forward and looking towards it but it is going to be tough leading in and having more and more success afterwards the rest of it. but i do think that everybody a part of this cast and crew i think they're up for it mm -hmm. yeah for sure uh at least we'll, we'll see how long the production is because uh, you know this is long spanning series and like there's just so much to adapt like i don't know how they're gonna do that do it We'll also see, like, maybe in the next, like, five years when Oda finally finishes his, his last arc of One Piece, and we'll finally get, like, a live-action and anime adaptation uh, conclusion. So, we'll see. Only time will tell. You can never, <laughs> you can never like, pin it down with Oda in these things, especially with when and if he will ever be able to go through and get it done. But, to be fair, he's he's been with the story longer than any of us ever have. So if he's going to be able to go through and sign off and give his blessings towards the rest of this, I think we can go through and be confident enough that we'll be able to have more opportunities and more good adaptations following it and yet to come. So I think that's it. One Piece, the live action adaptation has set sail and they're headed off to the grand line and to make an adaptation that will set the precedence for all future adaptations. <laughs> <laughs>